The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know, among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the sixth week uh, of our gathering since the start of the program year, and three of those six weeks have had a gospel reading about what is called a passion prediction in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, today we heard Linda read today's Gospel, and that was the third of those three. Um, and each of them follows exactly the same pattern. Jesus shares with his disciples, hey disciples, uh, I have some important news for you. Uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to be arrested and tried and beaten and eventually killed. And in every instance after Jesus shares this, the disciples come back with what we perceive 2,000 years later as, let's call it to be charitable, an incongruous response. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So in the first case, Jesus shares this, again, big, important, profoundly difficult, challenging news. And Peter says, oh, Jesus, just a second, you're a little confused. You don't understand what it means to be the Messiah. Let me explain. Second time, again, Jesus shares this news. I have to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to be abused and beaten and tried and killed. And what do we find the disciples doing after that? Arguing among themselves about which of them is the greatest. The third one, the one we hear today, again, Jesus shares this difficult, troubling news, and now James and John come to Jesus with a question. But it is not a particularly thoughtful question. It's not a question that suggests they have been paying attention and they're being empathic. They don't say to Jesus, gosh, Jesus, that's really hard to understand. Can you explain to us what you're talking about? And they don't say, well, Jesus, you know, is there another way? Can we talk about this? No, what do they say? 
hey, Jesus, we have a question for you. And Jesus says, okay. And their question is, when you come into your glory, whatever they perceive that to be, can we have the most important places of honor? Right? Now, we read these three passion predictions 2,000 years later, and I do this, think this is a tendency in uh, our culture, and we look at those characters and we think, they are so thick-headed and boneheaded and unable to hear or see what is going on. If we had been there, it would have been a lot different, right? We would have had much better questions for Jesus, I'm sure, correct? So I think that's a cheap way out, though, to look back at those biblical characters and think, they were so dim-witted. We are so much smarter. I much prefer, and I think it's more important and more helpful, uh, to look at these passages and try in some way to get behind them and see if we can figure out some reasonable, understandable motivation for the way the disciples are behaving. I'm not suggesting what I'm about to say explains it entirely, but for me at least, it helps make sense of these strange responses. So, what is that way of thinking about it? Well, it is true. There's no question that Jesus is sharing this painful, difficult, hard news with his disciples. However, what's happening alongside that? Jesus is going out, and he's preaching, and he's healing, and he's gathering these huge crowds. Lots of people are following him. And the disciples hear the words Jesus is saying, but they also see what's happening. And part of what's going on in their heads, I think, is they're saying, huh, this Jesus guy who we hitched our wagon to, he's kind of a big deal. He's kind of important. He is becoming famous. And I don't really understand where this story is going to end, but it's going to be really good. But then somewhere in the back of their heads, I think they also start to reflect on, well, wait a minute. He is really important and famous and impressive. And I'm not. So why did he pick me? And when he comes into his glory, whatever that looks like, is he going to have room for me? Is he going to remember me? Am I going to be part of that story? And so as they observe Jesus going out and gathering these crowds and being impressive, uh, they're beginning to have this insecurity, this anxiety that maybe I don't belong here. Peter wants to ignore it entirely. In the second instance, the disciples, again, they're arguing amongst themselves, which of us is the greatest? And all of a sudden that starts to make sense because if Jesus only has a certain number of spaces, right, they want to figure out Who's going to be around? And James and John is just an extension of that. They're just proactive. They say, well, Jesus, we don't really get where this is going, but we're a little worried you're going to have to leave some of us behind. So we think we're the most important. Can you just give us that word? And all of a sudden, that anxiety, that worry, that concern the disciples have about where the story is going and how it may or may not include them starts, for me at least, to make a bit more sense. 
Now, as I mentioned, this is the third of three of these passion predictions in Mark. And uh, as I've seen each of them show up this fall, the same story from my, uh, my own life has sort of presented itself. And so I'm not suggesting this is nearly as important as what Jesus did, but I do think it is another way of getting at this same emotion, the same uh, anxious dimension of our humanity where we're not sure we really belong. So this is a story that happened to me when I was what, three or four years old, I think. Whatever, however old you are, when you start remembering uh, memories, and what you need to know about this story is that I come from a family on my mom's side where there are 21 of us cousins, okay? And I'm in the last third of those 21 cousins, so I'm one of the younger ones. And when this particular event happened, I don't think all of the other cousins had been born yet. So I'm, if I wasn't the youngest of the cousins at that particular moment, I was among the youngest, okay? And all of the cousins were gathered at my grandma and grandpa's house. And as I recall it, one of my mom's aunts came. I don't remember what the occasion was, but she had brought a gift for each of us, each of us cousins, right? And remember, I'm a little three-year-old kid, and I probably have only seen all my cousins a couple times in my life, and I'm looking up at all of them. You know, they're a lot bigger and older and wiser than I am. And the aunt starts presenting the cousins with these gifts, and she goes in order of age, right? So she calls each one up. And I'm down the pecking order. So I'm hearing these names get called, you know, Vicky, Andy, Sarah, Amy, Joel, Kendall, Mark, and on and on and on. And what do you think a three or four-year-old kid who's watching this is thinking? Is she going to remember me? Will there be a present for little old me, do I belong or not? I remember very profoundly the gears turning in my head, thinking about that, worrying about that, which is why I was so delighted when she did what? Finally called my name. Tim, come on up. I have something for you, too. And it wasn't impressive. It wasn't, you know, expensive. It was a little beanbag frog sewn by her, I'm sure, in sort of a puke green color, <laughs> about this big, not particularly sophisticated. You know, artistically, it had a couple of googly eyes that you sew on or paste on from Michael's or whatever the store was at that point. Um, so it wasn't a huge, impressive present, but I loved that frog. Why? Because it was a reminder that through nothing that I had done, through no effort of my own, through no achievement of my own, I belonged. I was part of the family. Now, was there an event like that, a green frog event for the disciples? Yes. And we've talked about it again and again. That event was, of course, Easter. And it's when the disciples finally realized, oh, I get it. I do belong. And I don't have to lobby Jesus for a place, and I don't have to fight my other disciples to get him to convince that he needs a place. The place is there already for me. 
I just need to accept it. You might say that their eyes are opened finally in a new and profound way to that reality, and it is no accident that the gospel writer Mark frames those three passion prediction stories with healings by Jesus. Right before the first and right after the last, there's a healing by Jesus where he does what? Helps a blind person to see. 2,000 years later, my dear brothers and sisters, we come here week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, to be reminded of the same truth. That there's a place for you here. That you belong. That this is your home. That Jesus has been expecting you. Whatever the world says about whether you're not good enough or smart enough or the right age or attractive enough. No, here Jesus says, I love you. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of who I am. In the words of that famous hymn, we were what? Once lost, but now are found. We're blind, but now we see. So let's pray now to have God open our eyes to that truth. Let us pray. Loving God, thank you for gathering us here today again to open our eyes to the truth of your love for each of us. Help us to receive that truth with gratitude and joy and remind us also of the responsibility we have to share your love with a world in need. And all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.